If you are just getting started with the NGSS and 3D teaching, I want to invite you to check out Bring Wonder Back, an on-demand video series designed to help you understand why moving through the textbook and teaching topics is actually crushing your students' curiosity and what you can do instead. It's going to help you shift the work of learning where it belongs by building your understanding of explorations and discovery-based teaching practices. And finally, I'm going to help you take the first steps toward transforming your students into scientists through 3D learning, which is really what the NGS is all about. You can access this video series at iExploreScience/wonder and get ready to bring wonder engagement and a love for learning back to your science class. All right, to the show. Welcome to the Teaching Science in 3D podcast. My name is Nicole Van Tassel. And I'm Erin Sadler. And we are two science teachers dedicated to helping you cut through the confusion and meet the intent of the NGSS so you can master all three dimensions. The NGSS can seem totally overwhelming, but implementing these standards doesn't need to be. Hi, everyone. This is Erin Sadler. And... I'm solo today. Nicole isn't here, so you have the pleasure of listening to me talk to myself for the entire duration of this podcast. And we're going to have the added bonus today of my lovely voice because I woke up this morning with a sore throat. So I apologize um, when I talk for too long, it gets a little scratchy, but I've got some tea here with me and we're going to make this happen. I should also say that I am home on summer break, which means that my daughter is home with me. B, do you want to say hi? Hi. So um, anything could happen at any time. Children are present. So since it is the end of summer and we're getting ready to go back to school, one of the things that I'm seeing on social media, on our in our Facebook groups and on Instagram is teachers prepping their first unit. And I'm still seeing a lot of teachers who are shifting to NGSS, who are starting their units and starting their school years with the scientific method. And I want to talk about why you don't want to do that anymore and what you can do instead during this episode. So let's go ahead and start by talking about why you don't want to use the scientific method in your classroom anymore. One of the major problems with the scientific method is that it's incredibly linear. So students will start with a question and they will follow a series of steps to get to a conclusion. And the conclusion provides an answer to this original question. Now, the steps of the scientific method may vary depending on your textbook publisher, but essentially the process is the same every single time. And this doesn't really mirror what we see in actual science. So scientists use the tools that they have available to them to solve problems that arise and to investigate alternate avenues and to take a path that is not always linear. And this is one of the reasons why scientific research papers always have a methodology section, because this is not a linear path by any means. And when we're teaching students in this linear path, we aren't actually teaching them the practice of science. We aren't teaching them how to do the individual pieces. 
we're just teaching them to follow this one path in order to get to a conclusion. So the next problem with using the scientific method is that because the entire purpose of the scientific method is to come to a conclusion, it emphasizes knowledge over practice. And I'm gonna explain what I mean by that because that's a little bit confusing. So the whole goal of a scientific investigation that follows the scientific method is to get to this conclusion, to get this right answer. And I think that this is something that we struggle with in all of our classrooms as we're shifting to NGSS. Our students just wanna know the right answer. And by continuing to use the scientific method, we're continuing to emphasize that that's the goal, to get the right answer. The problem with that, that need to get the right answer, is, is that our understanding of the natural world is always changing. There isn't like a right answer. There's a better explanation using our current technology but there isn't necessarily a right answer. What we know to be true today might not be true 20 years from now because of the technology that we've developed that helps us have a greater understanding, or maybe we've made some new discoveries, we've uncovered some new fossils or something like that. So we need to understand the process of science so that we can understand why these changes are happening. So students need to understand this idea that our understanding of science changes and they need to know why. But we also kind of need to go back and talk about the original reason that we started emphasize, emphasizing science education way back in the 60s. And this was because we wanted students in the United States to have a basic understanding of science so that they could pick up a newspaper or watch TV and watch the news and have a basic understanding of what was happening in the world. And this is so important. We want students to be able to understand the advances that are happening and understand the methodology involved in the process of science. And we also want them to be able to evaluate the methodology of others. Does somebody have something to gain by coming to this conclusion. And that's incredibly important for students. And when we teach students to just look at that final answer, we aren't doing them justice. So the third problem with the scientific method is that it doesn't give students all of the tools that they need. And one of the major tools that they're missing is modeling. So Modeling is a really great way to take the ideas that are in your head and put them down onto paper so that you can discuss them with your peers, so that you could figure out what the holes in your understanding are, so that you can um, present your information to somebody else. And the scientific method doesn't include modeling at all. And when we look at the works of famous scientists, there are sketches, there are notes, there are all kinds of things. And um, these, are, these are models. And, and when you look at something like the atom, when we teach students about the atom and chemistry, and I'm sorry, I'm going to get really nerdy here. Um, I'll try to explain this 
um, so that those of you guys who aren't chemistry people can kind of picture this. So when we teach students in chemistry, we teach them like the basic Bohr model of an atom. And the Bohr model of an atom has all of the protons and neutrons located in the nucleus. And then it's got these circular orbits going around the nucleus that holds the electrons. And we know that there are issues with this model because the electrons don't travel in a circular orbit all the time. Um, and um, we also, in the Bohr model, the orbitals, those little circular pathways, hold a set number of electrons. And that holds up really well for the elements 1 through 20 on the periodic table. But once you hit calcium, that's kind of the last one where that model holds up. So electrons will bounce back into a previous energy level after calcium. And that's where we need to start looking at things like the quantum model and explaining why this phenomena is happening. So we see modeling all throughout science and it's a very important feature, but it's completely and totally left out of the scientific method. And then finally, one of the major things that one of those major tools that the scientific method leaves out is argumentation. And argumentation is so huge in science. When a scientist comes to a conclusion and publishes their paper, that is subject to scientific scrutiny. And other scientists will look at those papers and see if the information that they gather there is reproducible and they will um, try to find holes in methodology. And, um, and a lot of times we have competing ideas in science. And, and again, we just aren't doing our students justice if we're teaching them that following this algorithm will get them to a conclusion. And that's the end of that. Um, so those are the major issues with the scientific method. And by now, I'm sure I've convinced all of you guys, you are never going to use the scientific method in your classroom again, and you want to know what you should do instead. So that's what I'm going to talk about next. So instead, you should be teaching students how to use the science and engineering practices in your classroom. And I like to present the science and engineering practices like tools that your students are wearing in their tool belt, and they can use these tools at any time in order to help them understand the natural world or solve a problem. So when students are exposed to a phenomenon, they will ask questions about the phenomenon, and they don't just ask one question and investigate that one question question, they come up with a list of questions that are um, that they're able to investigate. And throughout their process, they're going to continue to ask questions. Whenever they see something that doesn't make sense to them, they should be asking a question. That, that piece doesn't go away just because they've written out the, the question for their investigation. Questions are always important. And then once students are exposed to that phenomenon, they might create a model in order to show their current understanding of that phenomenon. And then they might do some sort of investigative piece where they are 
um, collecting evidence and they're, they're making quantitative and qualitative observations and then coming back to that model and revising that model. And that revision piece is so huge. So just because a student has, has used a science and engineering practice in a given lesson sequence, that doesn't mean that it goes away. They can revisit that science and engineering practice. So students should also be evaluating information that's presented to them. Um, one of the things that I tell my students is that if I present them with something in class, they always have the right to ask me how we know that, um, that they shouldn't just take it as fact, that they should always ask me, well, how do we figure that out? Um, and I'm happy to help them with that piece. Um, and they, they should also be looking at if they're doing some sort of research in class they should look at who is funding studies that they're using in their research. So if, um, if they're saying that exercise is only great if you're wearing a certain type of shoe and the study that they're using to support that idea is um, from this shoe company, then you have to take that with a grain of salt. And students need to be taught how to evaluate information on that level. So that's why it's one of the science and engineering practices. So uh, I wrote a blog post about this a couple months ago um, at the start of the summer. And I got a lot of questions because Teachers are fearful that if we aren't using the scientific method, then what are we doing? And I think that this, those teachers who are shifting away from the scientific method are shifting to another thing, which is just is not great. Um, and that is teaching all of the science and engineering practices at once in the beginning of your school year. So let me talk to you about why that's problematic. Students need to be taught things in context. If they aren't immediately using that information, it's not valuable to them. Um, one of my administrators always says, lead with your why. And if you can't provide them with a why they need that information right then, you're going to have a hard time getting them to pay attention. Um, if you instead teach them how to make a model and then you make a model, that information is so much more valuable. And I think that we have gotten to a point in education, just in general, where we have overemphasized knowledge to the point where we are front-loading our students to death. Um, <laughs> that's kind of a weird thing to say, but, um, but because we just want them to get the right answer, we're just going to tell them over and over and over and over again so that it sticks. And that's not the way to get information to stick for your students. The way to get information to stick is to make it meaningful. So um, I got a lot of questions from teachers asking what their first couple weeks of school should look like instead. And um, this is going to sound completely and totally nuts, but you just teach your first unit and you don't even need to do like lab safety. You can just go into your first unit and it will be okay. And this took me a really long time to figure out. 
And I hated the first two weeks of school because it was so boring and it set up a lot of um, classroom management issues because students were basically just sitting and listening to me talk, which is what you're doing now. So I understand the irony, but it's not the most exciting thing. And and that doesn't create a lot of buy-in in your classroom. And I was finding myself having to kind of rebuild that initial impression. And it took a while and it wasn't very fun. And when I just get into the content, kids do fine. They're really adaptable and they can they can make things work. So this doesn't mean that I think that you should teach everything at the same pace that you would do like the end of the year. I think that you should take it very slowly and teach them the individual science and engineering practices in context. Um, I think that you should choose just a couple of science and engineering practices to really emphasize in your first unit and teach those really well and then let students try it but it'll be okay. I promise you it will be okay. And if you have any control over your scope and sequence, I strongly encourage you to start with your strongest piece first to create that buy-in. Because the reality of the situation is the work that we are asking them to do is so much more difficult than what they were asked to do five years ago. Five years ago, we were asking students to regurgitate information, and now we are asking them to figure it out. And that's a really big shift for our students. So if you have any control, go big right away. I also like to start the school year by developing relationships. And I I think that I see a lot of, like, on Instagram and stuff, like, ways to develop relationships with your students. But I also think it's important that we look at ways for them to develop relationships with each other. Um, I think that students come into our classes with a lot of preconceived notions about each other and their ideas about each other kind of break down when we put them in a new context. Um, So I'll I'll give you an example. And this is one of the ones that I always use. one of my students asked so many questions, just asked so many questions and students would make fun of her for asking questions in their classes. And in a traditional classroom environment where the teacher is kind of giving you the information and you just have to spit it back out, this isn't an amazing skill, but in a science classroom where students are trying to figure something out, this is a great skill. So this student went from from being made fun of for asking questions to being a student that everybody wanted on their team because she came up with questions that nobody else could even think of and shift the direction that her group was taking. And eventually students saw the value in this, but it took them a while. So I think that... Um, We need to teach students to value each other's differences and value each other's abilities. Um, I think that we also need to talk to students about the fact that our science classrooms are going to be very different and set up the expectation for that at the beginning of the school year, Um, especially if they are coming from a more traditional setting 
Um, or if you are teaching maybe middle school and you have the first um, age group of middle school students. So for us, it would be like sixth grade. Um, if you have that group and they haven't really had science education from a science teacher, this will be a very difficult shift. And so kind of setting up that expectation in the beginning of the school year and letting them know how your classroom is going to be different. Um, I think it's great to spend some time on that. Um, we, we work on, um, I give the students an initial um, sheet that like a questionnaire on the very first day. And then I spend the next few days really going around and having conversations with students who have a fear of science. Um, I emphasize group work. Um, we do, um, like I said before, some team building activities. And I try to shift the groups around as much as possible in the first few days so that students get comfortable working in different scenarios um, because they'll be shifting around quite a bit in my classroom. So um, I still teach procedures. I still do all of the things that you've been told that you should do, but I teach those procedures in context. So I think that that wraps up everything that I want to say about the scientific method and NGSS. Um, I just want to also very briefly say that if you are using the scientific method in your classroom, we still like you. You're still a nice person. You're still a good teacher, but let us help you make that shift. Um, we have some resources on my blog at sadlerscience.com. Nicole has excellent resources at iexplorescience.com. Um, you can find us on the Facebook groups and we will link to those in the show notes. And just let us know what you're thinking and where you're having problems, and we'd be happy to help you. Make sure that you tune in next week because we are going to be taking a deep dive into the science and engineering practices and talk about some strategies that you can use to start using those practices in your classroom rather than using the scientific method. Um, so make sure that you tune in, and it was great chatting with you today. Bye! Making sure that your lessons are three-dimensional isn't always easy. While you don't need to include all three dimensions every single day, you do want to make sure that each dimension is regularly addressed. I developed a really simple 3D planner to help keep me focused. It helps me track which pieces I'm using in my daily lesson plans. It only takes me five minutes to fill out, and it helps me notice patterns in my own lesson planning. For example, when I first started using it, I noticed I wasn't including the cross-cutting concepts as often as I thought I was. Just by recognizing this, I was able to focus on this one piece and improve my lessons. Right now, you can grab the same template that I use for my own planning for free. Go to sadlerscience.com slash 3dplanner to grab yours. That's sadlerscience.com slash 3dplanner.